Good morning. It's good to be together. Thanks for being here at Discover or checking us out online. We are in our Shadows series. We're in the Book of Ruth today. So if you brought your Bible with you, whether that's printed or electronic, go ahead and turn to the Book of Ruth. We're going to get there in just a minute. Um, so in our series, what, what's happened between last week and this week, if you will, is that uh, Israel has come into the Promised Land under the leadership of Joshua, and now we're in a period that's called the Judges. And honestly, this is kind of a period of lawlessness. It's a little bit like the old Wild West. I mean, there's just a lot of crazy stuff that's going on. And that's basically the format or the background real quick for our story. Um, but in all of that, God is still at work. And so today, we're going to watch a video that covers the entire book of Ruth. And as we watch it, I want you to especially pay attention to the attitudes and the actions of two people, Ruth and Boaz. Let's watch the story. The book of Ruth, it's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter 1 opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore, and so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard, and so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, he prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, this family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land, and protect that family. 
So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up, and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy, showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. So that's the story of Ruth, and in it we see the human condition, right? There's this need for food and clothing and shelter, basic human stuff. There is a desire to find hope and love. There is a longing for belonging. And all of those things, all of those needs were satisfied because of the choices that people made. And it wasn't always a choice to do the easy thing, but it was a choice to do the right thing. And that brings us to our theme for the day, which is this. Commitment makes a greater impact than comfort. Commitment makes a greater impact than comfort. In this very dark world they were living in, Ruth and Boaz shine God's light and God's hope by living what God once by living God's heart. Multiple times we see them choose commitment over comfort. And so God works through them to impact their world in fantastic ways, ways that even impact our world, our lives to this very day. What a legacy. So let's unpack a little bit the actions of Ruth, the actions of Boaz, then talk about Jesus and finally bring it to ourselves. So here we go, Ruth chapter 1. What's going on here is Ruth, again, over and over, chooses commitment over comfort. And what's happening right here, again, in the context is that the three husbands have died and that Naomi says to Ruth and Orpah, go back to your homes and, uh, and be with your families. And this is what's going on in this context. So here we go. Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 14. At this they wept aloud again. That's the three women. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, But Ruth clung to her. 
Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Ruth was devoted to Naomi. Like Abraham and Sarah, she was willing to leave behind her people, her culture, her, her family, her comfort, and go to this new place because... She cares about the other person. Now, Orpah, the other sister, our daughter-in-law, she didn't do anything wrong, but we really don't know any more about her after this. It's not called the book of Orpah. It's called the book of Ruth. And the reason is because God works through the life of this committed woman, Ruth. Ruth remains devoted to Naomi. She, she does hard work, difficult work, work, work that actually puts her at risk in more ways than one. In Ruth 2.2, Ruth says, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And then later, when Naomi gives Ruth uh, a a suggestion or gives her advice, Ruth humbly says this, I will do whatever you say. In Ruth 3.5. She has a humble, obedient heart. And because of Ruth's commitment, she is a big part of God's story here on earth. In fact, in Matthew chapter 1, it lists her in the genealogy of Jesus. She is an ancestor of baby Jesus. More good news, when Ruth makes this commitment over comfort, God gives her purpose and fulfillment in her life. God is good. So that's Ruth. Next, let's look briefly at Boaz. Boaz was Naomi's blood relative, a man who had both physical and spiritual resources, and he was a godly man, and he wanted to use what he had for good, and he is a hero in the story. And and we see a bit of his heart in the very beginning in the way that he treats the people that are working for him. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. He didn't have to do that. But he wanted them to know, hey, I see you. Thank you for what you're doing. He was kind to them. His heart consistently sought the good of others. When he saw Ruth picking up the scraps of grain that the harvesters were required by law to leave for the poor, his heart went out to her. In verse 8 of chapter 2, Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. You see, Boaz was able to provide not just food, but he was providing security for Ruth. She was in a dangerous situation. Not everyone was as kind as he was, and he wanted to make sure that she was cared for and protected. Beyond that, Boaz took time to learn Ruth's story, and we read a little bit more about that in chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, Ruth said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. He goes far beyond what the law, what the business practices said he had to do. And he was generous, compassionate. And he even went beyond this. He, he went beyond giving just a handout and got involved personally in Ruth and Naomi's messy lives. He made a long-term commitment. Last week, we touched on the idea that, that when God gave the law to Moses, a lot of it was about two things, the relationship that we have with God and the relationship that we have with other people. Part of those regulations included this idea of the kinsman redeemer. Again, the closest relative who has the responsibility to buy back or redeem property um, lost by family members who were, uh, had fallen on hard times. And also, they were to redeem relatives who, because of poverty, had sold themselves into slavery. The idea was in part to, to slow down the never-ending human uh, challenge of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. So Boaz followed God's command and God's heart to help. He assembled the leaders, including this closer relative, and he explains what's going on. And we read about this in chapter 4, starting in verse 4, and this is Boaz speaking. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you do not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. This is the closer relative who can act as the kinsman redeemer or the guardian redeemer. He says, I will redeem it. And then the rest of the story is, Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you, are also, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman or guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Pretty familiar story. As long as it's going to benefit me, make my comfort better, I'm in. But when it requires commitment, eh, you do it. See, at first the closer relative was excited about the transaction because it was going to benefit him. But his true heart is revealed when he realizes this is, this is going to cost him something significant. The closer relative chose comfort and his impact was limited. And again, we don't know his name. We don't know anymore about his story. But Boaz was committed. Like Ruth, God worked in and through his life to be a blessing. And like Ruth, he is an inspiration, and he also is listed as an ancestor to Jesus in both Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 3. 
So that brings us then to Jesus. And his character is similar to that of Ruth and Boaz, but again, he is the shadow that is greater. He is the one who is the ultimate example. Jesus consistently chose commitment over comfort. And here's just one example, a very famous passage in Philippians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's impossible for us to get our heads around what Jesus has chosen here. Jesus is this incredibly massive example of commitment over comfort. Imagine for a moment that you're a king or a queen and you have a bunch of people who will just do whatever you say. You say, I want it, and it happens, right? It's just, you're just able to have that. Most anything you ask for is going to happen. Now, imagine something far beyond that. Imagine somehow being God. Jesus is, is able to have all of these heavenly beings, angels and others, who are there to do whatever he wants. Whatever he says is going to happen. Even more, whatever he thinks, he can just make happen on his own. He doesn't even need them. He is so powerful, and he is living in a place of perfection. No problems, no struggles. It's the stuff we read about in Revelation, no mourning or pain or death. Streets made out of gold. <laughs> asphalt. Gold is asphalt in heaven, okay? It's amazing. Imagine having all of that. And then imagine letting go of all of that. And that's what Jesus did. He abandons it all. I can't think of a great analogy, but maybe this will help a little bit. It's like us saying, okay, I'm a human, but I, I want to become an ant. I'm going to be an ant. And not only am I going to be an ant, I'm going to be an ant that serves all of the other ants. That's going to be my role. And Lynn Borton, one of our elders, said to me, so that would be like a serve ant. It was good. But in an incomprehensible way, that's what Jesus did. Not because we deserved it, but because he loves us that much. And he wants to save our lives and transform our lives. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, talking about himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then the idea of redemption, being our brother, even though he is our Lord. Ephesians 1, 7, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Grace. 
Through Jesus, we're redeemed. We are bought back. We are forgiven. We are served. We are saved. All because of God's incredible, indescribable, incomprehensible grace. That is a world-changing impact. And it happened because Jesus chose commitment over comfort. So, what about us? Will we follow the example of Ruth and Boaz and, and as much as we can the example of Jesus and allow God to impact the world through our lives? We're called to do that. When Paul writes to the Philippians what we read earlier about Jesus, back up a few verses. Chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Our mindset should be like Jesus, not like the world. And we know the world's mindset. Jesus talked about it when he was talking about uh, people who had authority and how they would use it for their own benefit. He's talking to his followers. Matthew chapter 20, he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And, and when we do that, God uses our lives to impact people around us. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When we serve, when we get beyond our comfort zone, when we are committed, God works. God changes lives. God impacts the world. And so I have to ask myself, do I pursue comfort or commitment? Do I pursue comfort or commitment? I'm guessing no one in our room is a kinsman redeemer under the Old Testament law. Most of us are probably not foreign widows. And definitely none of us are Jesus. But we are called to live the same way. At some point, God is going to call you to make a choice. Are you going to pursue comfort? Or are you going to pursue commitment? Like Ruth, are we devoted to something that's bigger than us, part of this larger story of God? Are we willing to work hard? Are we willing to put ourselves at risk to help others? Are we quick to humbly obey? Like Boaz, do we acknowledge and honor the people around us or the people who serve under us in a job situation? Or what about the server at the restaurant? Do you treat them with compassion and generosity? Or do you go into your king and queen mode and say, come and serve me? Like Boaz, do you get to know people? Do you see how your resources might benefit their lives? Like Boaz, do we get involved in messy lives and provide long-term, life-changing help? 
like Boaz, do we follow what God has told us in his word that's designed for us to help others with the resources we have, whatever those are? Can we model Jesus and be willing to, to hold very loosely to whatever position we have? Or even let it go if it's going to make the right impact in our world? Are we willing to serve others and seek out those who need help? And most of all, like Jesus, are we willing to point people to the one who can change their lives and save their lives. Not too awfully long ago, a new neighbor moved into our neighborhood. They were literally as our next door neighbor. And one day, um, I saw him out in the lawn and their, their uh, drainage from the gutters had gotten all clogged up and he had dug a trench and was out there working. And he was just getting started. I could tell this was going to be a bit of a project. And to be really honest, I had zero desire to go out. And first of all, I barely knew his name. And I thought, ah, you know, I'm really tired. I've got tons of things I got to get done. And yet the Holy Spirit said, hey, you go out there and be a neighbor remember that thing love your neighbor as yourself what if it was your line that was clogged up what would you do so I went out I said hey what's going on he told me and I said I don't know what I'm doing but you want my help anyway <laughs> he said that'd be great so I got down on my hands and knees put on my work gloves, got some shovels out, helped him dig, started talking about life. Later on, um, he and his wife invited my wife and I to come into their home. Not long after that, um, they told us that she had cancer. They had just found out and they said, would you come over and just pray with us? And when she got to the place where she was in hospice and just a slim, like, shell of who she was, they invited us to come over every day and just be with them. And I don't say that in any way to glorify myself. I say that to, to glorify God. And that all happened, and they got engaged in a local church, not because of us, but because of God. But I can tell you for sure, if I hadn't gone out and dug, got in the mud with my neighbor and my friend, I'm not exactly sure that would have happened in my part of the story. I've been involved with two funerals in the last eight days, and I have to tell you, nobody talked about the house that people lived in or the car that they drove. 
awesome clothing they wore and how cool their brand new phone was. Now, there is nothing wrong with comfort. I don't want you to feel like there's, there's something there. And God wants us to rest. We have to create margin in our lives so we can rest and, and be renewed so that we can serve. But we also have to have margin in our lives so that when God says, I need you to serve, we can do it. And here's the good news. Matthew six thirty three. Jesus says, if you will pursue the kingdom of God first, above everything else, I'll make sure that you have whatever you need. Your life will be blessed. See, we are designed for relationship. And at some point, an authentic relationship is going to require commitment over comfort. It's going to require work. It's why in wedding vows it says, in sickness and in health. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. I am about this. I'm in it. I'm committed. As a parent, you know sometimes it's hard work and you have to choose commitment over comfort to benefit your children. Maybe you have a, a parent and you're an adult yourself and they need help. And it's not easy. It's literally requiring financial and lifestyle change for you. But God honors commitment over comfort. What about your friends and your neighbors? Are you willing to, to get involved or do you just sit in the backyard like I so often do in my, my lawn chair and say, those are some nice flowers? And, and I don't want this to be political. It's not at all. But in this context, God brought it up in his word, so we need to address it quickly. The idea of people coming into your land, foreigners, how do you welcome them? That's exactly what's going on in this story. You can't make it anything that it's not because that's exactly what it is. Ruth is a foreigner. And Boaz welcomes her and takes care of the needs that she has. And the church should be the most welcoming people on the planet. When people come to our land in, in Leviticus, it tells us that we are supposed to treat the foreigner as if they are a national. Now, I'm not talking about all of the political parts of this. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying anything about that. What I'm saying is if someone is in your neighborhood and they're a foreigner, how do you treat them? Do you welcome them? Do you say, your English is incredibly great? Or do you say, man, I sure wish they would learn how to talk. And I sure wish they would leave. What about as a follower of Jesus here at Discover? Are you, are you involved? Are you committed? <laughs> do you give what's comfortable? Yeah, this will be all right. Or do you at the very beginning say, God, I'm going to make a commitment to you, and I have zero idea how this is going to work, but I'm going to trust your principles, and I'm going to be committed to giving to Discover Christian Church because I see lives that are being changed not only here, but throughout the world. When you 
come for worship? Are you arriving late, sitting in the back? Are you like, man, this is an Ohio State football game. I'm celebrating. I'm excited. I'm going to be here early. I want to tailgate with the people before the game and just say, hey, how are you? When there's somebody that you don't know in the building, do you go to the people that you already know, your comfortable little group of people? I do this. I'm talking to me. I hope you guys realize I'm not beating you up. I'm beating me up too. You go to the people you know, or do you go out of your way, go out of your comfort zone? Because you're committed to the body of Christ, and you say, I love that person. I don't even know their name yet, but I love them. I'm going to get to know their story. Are you a person who has said yes to Jesus? To what his word says that we need to do to be followers? If you've never done that for the first time, you need to say yes and and say, I'm going to get out of this comfortable thing I've been living, and I'm going to walk with Jesus. And it may not always be easy, but I'm committed. Then you surrender your life. And you turn away from the way you were going and you turn back to God. That's called repentance. And you say, God, I've been pursuing my own selfish things and I want to follow your plan and make a difference in this world. And you you say, Jesus is the only hope I have for eternal life. You're baptized as Jesus commanded to, to have a brand new life. And then you walk with him daily. And that's the part that if you've done all the rest of that, you all of us need to do that every day to get up on the altar and say, today I will follow you, Lord. I'm committed. I'm not going to be comfortable. I'll be blessed because of you. But I'm not pursuing comfort. I'm pursuing commitment. When there are needs for service in the church, do you say, well, I sure hope somebody will do that. That needs done. Are you committed? And you're in it. You're part of the team. Don't you want to be part of God's continuing story to impact the world like Ruth and like Boaz and in some small way like Jesus? Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you? Yeah, I do. I know you do. But it's going to take a lot more than being comfortable. You can't just sit. You've got to serve. And when God calls us, we need to say yes to his heart to make a difference in this world, to love people, to to love him and to impact the world. Right now, there's probably or at least likely something that God's spirit is speaking to your spirit. And I want to give time for that. And so for about 20 seconds, we're going to have just the piano playing. And I want you to deal with this. I want all of us to say, God, what are you calling me to step forward in in commitment? Let's be still and then let's pray. God, first of all, we thank you for choosing commitment over comfort. Our lives have been positively affected, transformed, redeemed, blessed, 
because of your faithfulness, your devotion. Would you drive that same passion deep into our hearts? A passion that will bring good news to our world, that will reflect your light and bring you glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If there's something that God is calling you to in commitment, uh, Dave Walsh will be up front here. We just ask that we would respond with commitment over comfort. Let's stand and give honor and glory to God.